Hey guys, hope you're doing well. Gonna be trying a little something different this week. I am personally calling it the Mount Rushmore Challenge. It's just something fun, just something I thought would be interesting to do, and just to get a little bit of talk because I love the all-time list conversation kind of things. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get into it. And welcome back. Welcome back. You guys are listening to the Mind of Mike J podcast and apologize. I've been kind of slacking lately. Um, Honestly, to be completely real with you guys being trying to come up with decent material every week and in a timely manner and at the same time is just kind of difficult. It's it's a lot more difficult than I thought. Um, So, you know, unfortunately, I do have a life outside of this, and I do have a job and other things that I got to take care of, and, you know, so at, at this point, I, you know, I just kind of get to it when I can, but that being all excuses set aside, for those of you that did not, that do not follow me on Facebook or did not see my Facebook post, uh, what I was asking was some ideas for what I want to call and what I'm going to be dubbing this episode, the Mount Rushmore Challenge. So basically what the Mount Rushmore Challenge is is as is basically a list of the top four individual players for any given sports team or organization. So basically the what I was asking on Facebook was for people to basically call out any team that they wanted me to talk about, collegiate or professional, and then I would come back and name who I thought the top four players or who would be on the Mount Rushmore of that particular organization. For those of you guys that don't, and for those of you that are wondering what my criteria was for going into this, I took a few, there are three things I took into consideration. One, one was tenure. Tenure, how long were you with this particular team? For example, if you carried what what we're what we're going for when we're talking about Rush Mount Rushmore is somebody that was with this team for a long time that that for the most part played the majority of their career with that particular organization. Randy Moss, for example, is not going to be on a Mount Rushmore for the New England Patriots. As there's the best example I can give. Great guy, had a great season, broke records. Had he have done what he did in his time in New England over a span of 10 to 12 years, absolutely. But you cannot, to me, you cannot be on a Mount Rushmore if you played a such a small, um, if, you do, if you don't have the years to go behind it. If you're only with a team for a couple years, that doesn't really qualify you. Category number two is productivity, which is probably the easiest one and pretty self-explanatory how productive were you during your time with that particular team if that makes any sense so we're not counting your production with you're we're not counting if you were a great player with some other team if you if you were not that great with the particular team that we're trying to have you in the discussion for Mount, Mount Rushmore for 
then you also do not qualify. And the third category is is team success. Was the team that you were was the team that were was the team in question successful during your time there? Did they enjoy a genuine somewhat relative amount of success during your time with the team? So in no particular order and one category was not necessarily weighted over the other, but that's basically the criteria that we use to make these lists. Now, again, I'm just going off of the suggestions that I was given. I would definitely, definite possibility we could have another episode where I kind of take a few of my own choices. But to me, the the challenge was allowing you guys to suggest who you wanted me to talk about and then uh, be, it being up to me to go and try to find them and look through the team's history and come up with who I think would be on the route much more route Mount Rushmore for the teams given because obviously I could sit here and talk all day about the teams I follow but it just makes it a little bit more interesting so without further ado here we go um at the top I want to go through a couple ones that I thought were fairly easy uh, the first team that we're that we're going to talk about is the Atlanta Braves. Uh, so I was asked to do the Atlanta Braves by a couple people, so here goes. Number one, number one on the Mount Rushmore for Atlanta Braves has to be Hank Aaron. I think anybody that that follows baseball in general would put Hank Aaron in this category, no question. I don't feel like there's a lot of debate there. Second all-time in home runs in Major League history, not just the Braves. Major League history, second all-time in home runs of 755, over 20 All-Star games. The the accolades we could go on for, for days about, but Hank Aaron, no question. No question, one of the greatest baseball players in history, greatest player in the history of the Milwaukee in the in the history of the Milwaukee slash Atlanta Braves. Number two, uh, Greg Maddox. And when I'm for the record, when I'm reeling off these numbers, I'm not putting them in order. I'm just really just naming names. But um, second on the list is going to be Greg Maddox. Four straight Cy Youngs between '94 and '95 which has really never been done other than, I believe, Randy Johnson. 3.16 career ERA and World Series and part of the World Series team in 95. Actually, the next, everyone else on this list besides Hank Aaron is from that that era. And the other two to round out the list are Chipper Jones, 19 years with the team, MVP, world champion, again, 95. And the last on the list, the next guy to win the Cy Young after Greg Maddox went on that credible, incredible four-year four run between 92 and 95, John Smoltz, 96 Cy Young Award winner, member of the 1995 World Series team, Hank Aaron, Maddox, Smoltz, Chipper Jones, that's going to round out your Mount Rushmore for the Atlanta Braves. Moving on, second team I was second team on the list we have to knock out is UCLA basketball. Now, to be clear, when we're talking about when I I wasn't leaving collegiate teams off the list, but what we did have to specify when we talked about colleges was which particular sport. So it has to be UCLA basketball 
or USC football or the sport has to be specified. So again, this is a UCLA basketball Mount Rushmore, which to kick it off, we have to start with Lou Alcindor, otherwise known to the casual fan as Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. We all know what he went on to do in the NBA, but one of the few guys who you can look at and say he was an all-time great in both college and pros across the board. All-time leading scorer in UCLA history, won a national title, one of the most dominant basketball players from a just scoring, rebounding, everything standpoint. One of the most dominant basketball players ever is probably in just about everybody's top five or top ten um, basketball players ever that you can talk about. Again, this is another one that's really up for no debate. Another one that I feel like is not up for debate, Bill Walton, three-time player of the year, two-time national champion, was there to kind of follow up Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Both these players were part of that legendary run of John Wooden-led UCLA teams that just completely decimated their competition between the mid-60s and early 70s. Next on the list, Reggie Miller, second all-time in scoring and UCLA basketball history, did this without a three-point line until his senior year in college, and anybody that watched Reggie knows how good of a shooter Reggie Miller is. So, you have to... You have to factor in, when you think about that, It's to me, it's just as impressive knowing that Reggie was a, knowing that Reggie was a, how good of a shooter Reggie was, and he was still able to accumulate that many points without a three-point line. Last on the list, Gail Goodrich. Another one from the John Wooden era in the 1960s led the team to its first two national championships, retired as the UCLA basketball all-time leading scorer at the time when he left. Really, he was the first guy to kind of kick off that run of just John Wooden dynasty teams and an era of dominant UCLA basketball. Gail Goodrich was the one of the first guys to do it. Moving on to the next team. So, again, to recap your UCLA, Mount Rushmore, Lou Alcindor, Slash Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Bill Walton, Reggie Miller, Gail Goodrich. Dallas Mavericks, another interesting suggestion. Of course, we're going to kick off with the no-brainer pick, Dirk Nowitzki. At the top of just about everything involving offense in Dallas Mavericks record books, number seven all-time in scoring in NBA, that is NBA, not just Mavericks. He's number seven all-time in NBA history in scoring No-brainer there. Greatest Maverick of all time, no question. Michael Finley also makes this list. 40 minutes per game was a straight Iron Man. Played average 40 minutes a game. Played over 10 years with the Dallas Mavericks franchise. Was a two-time All-Star. Was just, just played for a very long time. Was very good, very solid. If you watched them, if you remember watching the Mavericks back in the day, Michael Finley was just always there and you always knew that you could what you could count on out of this guy and the last two to round out the list are going to be the second and third leading or excuse me two of the better scorers in Dallas Mavericks history outside of Dirk Nowitzki Rolando Blackman who is the second 
franchise's second all-time leading scorer, and Mark Aguirre, who was part of, who was actually the Dallas scoring average leader, active currently, went on was traded to the Detroit Pistons, where he went on to be a part of the original Bad Boys, and was continued to be successful there. But prior to his run with Detroit, was a very efficient, very high volume scorer with the Dallas Mavericks. So, to finish off Dallas Mavs, again, recap. Dirk Nowitzki, Michael Finley, Rolando Blackman, Mark Aguirre, that is your Dallas Mavericks, Mount Rushmore. WCU basketball, another interesting one. Again, Western Carolina University, my alma mater, basketball. We were the first school to hit the, we're first school ever in the collegiate ranks to hit a three-pointer. We were, that's one of our claims to fame. Pretty much anybody goes to Western knows that and will tell you that and we'll take what we can get because we don't have a lot of other stuff going for us athletically. But the no-brainer in this group of WCU basketball Mount Rushmore, Mr. Henry Logan, the first black athlete to play at a predominantly white institution in the Southeast. That is an accomplishment in and of itself, but but aside from the political, cultural aspect of it, this guy was unreal by anyone's standards, scoring-wise. Averaged 30 points a game for his career, 36 a game as a senior at Western, dropped 60 points in a game, Clearly, if you guys haven't figured it out yet, he is Western Carolina University's all-time leading scorer in basketball. He's also the all-time assist leader as well. And you have to think about basketball back then when he was playing in the 60s. That was, it wasn't like, basketball back then wasn't like how it is now. There wasn't a shot clock. You weren't, you weren't getting 100 possessions a game. You weren't playing at the pace that they were playing. So to average 30 a game back then is basically unstoppable. 30 points a game is unstoppable now, but to average 30 points a game for your career back then is just, to me, that's just unreal by anyone's, at any school standards. Obviously, he's been retired and deservedly so, Hall of Famer, Mr. Henry Logan, hats off to you, sir, as a WCU alumni. Next up on the list is going to be Kevin Martin. Kevin Martin played three years, averaged 23 points a game, is fourth all-time in WCU record books and scoring, was a first-round pick in the NBA draft, had a very long and productive career in the NBA as well. And to round out the list, two All-Americans from the 50s and 60s who fill in We got Henry at one. Kevin Martin, as I just said, is four in scoring. These two guys are going to round out the two and three spots. Ronald Rogers and Mel Gibson. Again, great guys, All-Americans, efficient scorers, put in all kinds of work for Western Carolina basketball. The only other two guys in Western Carolina basketball history to have their jerseys retired by WCU Athletics. And that will round out your Mount Rushmore there. So, again, to recap... Henry Logan, Kevin Martin, Ronald Rogers, Mel Gibson. Next on the list for the Mount Rushmore Challenge, the Los Angeles Lakers. So many names, so many guys we could put here. We could 
do a de- I could we could probably do a whole episode debate on just these guys alone. However, this is the four that I feel like you can't really. I mean, I feel like these this it's a the Lakers have a more clear front four than than it would appear. Um, Kobe Bryant to me is the no brainer above Magic Johnson. Really, they're both no brainers. Really, the, those two. Those two should be at the forefront of anybody's list. I feel like if Kobe and Magic are not on your LA Laker, I'm not on your LA Laker Mount Rushmore, then your list is just invalid. Kobe Bryant. That I mean, what enough said, enough said. Guy had, guy played till he could barely walk. Was a five-time champion, third I believe all time in scoring. Enough said, enough said about Kobe Bryant. Magic Johnson, another five-time champion, greatest point guard, arguably, in NBA history. Again, enough said. We could go all day about the accolades. And to round out the Mount Rushmore, I'm going with Jerry West. The logo continues to be a staple of, continued to be a staple of the Los Angeles Lakers organization as a member of their front office long after his playing days. But was there, earned the nickname. What uh, was there to really start the LA dynasty and the LA tradition? Guy was nicknamed Mister. I mean, anybody with the nickname Mister Clutch. I mean, what else can you say? And to round out this list, I'm going with Shaquille O'Neal, the guy that the LA Lakers, the guy with the statue in front of the Staples Center right now, was a very successful player with the Orlando Magic as well before he came over to LA but at the end of the day I think when you think about LA you think about Showtime Lakers you think about Jerry West Lakers and then the other Lakers that you can't ignore are the Shaq and Kobe Lakers when you think about when you think about LA you have to talk about those eras and I think because of that, Shaq makes this list. So again, rounding out your L.A. Lakers, Mount Rushmore, Kobe Bryant, Magic Johnson, Jerry West, Shaquille O'Neal. New York Knicks is next Next up, next candidate for the Mount Rushmore Challenge. The no-brainer in this group, I believe, was Patrick Ewing. Most dominant center in the history of the franchise, most one of the most dominant centers ever in the history of basketball. Period. Going back to his times at Georgetown, never won a championship, but had New York knocking on the door, and very well could have done it had there not been some guy named Michael Jordan playing in the East in the 1990s. Walt Frazier and Willis Reed, two are the two the next two that I believe should make this list. They're part of the championship teams that the Knicks were able to put together in the 70s. Another time other than the 90s that the Knicks enjoyed a real period of prosperity. And last on the list, I'm going with Allen Houston. Kind of like the Michael Finley of the Knicks. Was just there for a long time. Very quiet. Not a big personality, but was very good for a very long time. Just kind of went about his business and quietly... Uh, cemented himself in many record books in franchise history. So to round out to New York Knicks, Mount Rushmore, 
we got Patrick Ewing, Walt Frazier, Willis Reed, and Allen Houston. LSU football, another one that I had to do a little bit of digging on, but I feel like I got it right. Kevin Falk, three-time All-SEC, second most rush yards in SEC history at the time when he had finished, left LSU as the Southeastern Conference leader in total yards, in career total yards, until he got passed by Tim Tebow in 2009. Glenn Dorsey won the Nagurski, Outland, Lott, and Lombardi Trophy in 2007, was the only player to ever do that, was a completely dominant defensive player and unanimous first-team All-American for LSU back in the mid-2000s. A guy, a, a guy named Tommy Casanova, three-time first-team All-American, played three positions, defensive back, running back, and return man, was, from what I read, never saw the guy play, but from what I read about this dude, he was the, he was considered the best player in college football, period, during his time. So to me, he's got to make this list. And Josh Reed, consensus All-American, broke SEC records for yards as a wide receiver in a game with 293 and broke SEC record for yard receiving yards in a season which with 1740 at the time this was back in around the 2000 2001 LSU football is the only team on this list that I'm going to give an honorable mention for Mount Rushmore and my honorable mention for LSU football is Greedy Williams, their current, who currently plays for LSU, who currently plays defensive back for LSU. Not because I actually haven't seen the guy play, not because he's done anything that great to warrant all-time consideration, but Greedy Williams has to be the greatest name for a defensive football player I think I've ever heard in my life. And I think he gets on this list as an honorable mention just off that alone. Next up on this list, so again, to recap, LSU, Kevin Falk, Glenn Dorsey, Tommy Casanova, Josh Reed, honorable mention, Greedy Williams. That is your Mount Rushmore for LSU. San Francisco 49ers. This was another one that I thought was pretty easy. Your no-brainers are going to be Joe Montana. This, the 49ers might have actually had four, four no-brainers. And this one, I feel like it's going to be hard to kind of make a list that doesn't include all four of these guys. Joe Montana, arguably the greatest quarterback ever next to Tom Brady, four-time Super Bowl champion. One of part of the probably the best quarter, definitely the best quarterback of his era, arguably one of the best quarterbacks period in NFL history. His main man. And his main target, Jerry Rice, hands down best receiver of all time, statistically speaking. Ronnie Lott, one of the best defensive backs by anyone's standards. Four-time Super Bowl champion, forced fumbles, interceptions, open field tackles, pick sixes. This guy gave you pretty much everything. And then Steve Young, who was traded by my Buccaneers after two miserable seasons to the 49ers for a couple of draft picks. Finally got his shot to start in 1991. Kind of showed flashes. Had to 
wait until really a combination of injuries and the team just deciding to move on from Joe Montana before he re- before he really got his shot. But was MVP, finally broke through and won MVP in 1992 after he had been in the league for about seven years. And the rest is pretty much history after that. Went on to win multiple Super Bowls, won multiple MVPs. Just goes to show you, can't give up on guys early. And most, like Chris Carter was saying on his show on Fox Sports 1 the other day, most NFL players are system guys. The term system should not be used as a negative to describe football players or like they're limited. A lot of guys are system guys, and Steve Young is probably a perfect example of a guy that just wasn't able to be successful and was considered a bust and was just given the opportunity to start fresh and became one of the greatest quarterbacks of his era. So you never know with some guys. You just don't. So, again, your Mount Rushmore for the San Francisco 49ers, Joe Montana, Jerry Rice, Ronnie Lott, Steve Young. Shouldn't be too much debate there. Moving on, next candidate for the Mount Rushmore Challenge, the Cleveland Browns. The no-brainer here is going to be Jim Brown, one of the greatest running backs of all time. Still very active in the Cleveland and the Ohio Northeast Ohio community. Great person overall. Jim Brown on the field, his success, what he meant to that team, to that Cleveland team during the time that he was there, can never be understated. Otto Graham led the Browns to multiple title game appearances, Was is still the NFL record holder at quarterback for highest win percentage at 81%. Lou Groza, who played at the same time as Otto Graham and Jim Brown, if you haven't noticed the theme here, all, these, all the Browns' best players are from the 50s and 60s. Sorry, that's just the last time the Browns had any real good players. But um, that's besides the point. Lou Groza looked him up. Guy apparently played offensive line and kicker. That's unheard of. I've just never heard of that. Uh, that alone gets him on this list. But Lou Groza, another key part of a period when the Browns actually were relevant and were contenders back in the back in the late fifties, early sixties. And Ozzie Newsome, one of the first vertical tight ends, which. Again, was kind of ahead of his time. Now you kind of see everybody doing it. Everybody's got the pass-catching, vertical, field-stretching tight ends. Everybody wants them. Now, heck, you can be a tight end. You can be a tight end now and not even be required to block. You're just a bigger guy to draw up space in the middle of the field. But Ozzie Newsome was pretty much back then when Ozzie Newsome played it was a new thing. It was revolutionary. And guys like that should always get the credit that they deserve. So, again, your Cleveland Browns, Mount Rushmore, Jim Brown, Otto Graham, Lou Groza, and Ozzie Newsome. Final team on this list, final candidate that was submitted to me for the Mount Rushmore Challenge, Florida Basketball. This is another one I had to really do some digging on, but... I came up with Ronnie Williams, who led the team in scoring all four years in the early 80s. Neil Walk, who played in the 1960s, only Gator in history to average 20 points per game, also averaged 15 boards 
which those two averages alone is dominant by anyone's standards. He owns two of the top four scoring seasons in school history. That alone speaks in and of itself. And then to round out it, the list, we got Al Horford and Joe Kim Noah. Anybody that watched college that was watching college basketball in the 2000s, you should remember Florida winning back-to-back national championships. Al Horford, Joe Kim Noah, holding down that front line, went on to both be very productive NBA players. But that team does not go, does not do what they're able to do without Joe Kim Noah and Al Horford. So, again, to round out your Florida basketball, Mount Rushmore, Ronnie Williams, Joe Kim Noah, Al Horford, Neil Walk. And that is going to finish off the list. That was, um, again, you guys let me know. Once you come, I'm going to put it up. Listen to it. Let me know what you guys think of the list. I Like you said, I think I got it right. Again, I'm not going to second-guess my own stuff. But you guys tell me. A lot of you folks are bigger fans of some of these teams than I am. So let me know what you guys think. Before I got to get out of here, we do have to hand out our L of the Week. I am a little bit late on it, but I cannot let this slide. The L of the Week this week is going to go to Kevin Durant. For those of you that do not know why those of you that have probably been paying attention at all probably know why I'm handing Kevin Durant an L but for those of you that are not familiar Kevin Durant was caught red-handed on Twitter defending himself from fake accounts what basically what has been going on is Kevin Durant pretty much has been Kevin Durant has been getting uh roasted pretty mercilessly on Twitter since he decided to sign with the Golden State Warriors last year. And it's gotten to the point now where Durant takes it upon himself to personally respond to pretty much anybody that calls him out on Twitter. Um, Which, there's really nothing wrong with that. Now, the problem is, what ended up happening was where he got caught was he responded to a tweet but was referring to himself in third person which would lead you to believe that he was using fake accounts and forgot exactly what it is which would lead you to believe he was he was talking he was talking to people from fake accounts and I guess just forgot to switch them. Because what you'll see on a uh, what you'll see on this attempt to clack back, and I'm talking kind of I'm talking kind of slow because I'm trying to find it. Um, what you will see is a tweet that says this is the one that got him caught. It's a tweet from a guy named at Cole Cashwell, who I guess is just a regular guy on Twitter that said, man, at KD Trey 5, basically tweeted Kevin Durant, at KD Trey 5, hell out of you, but give me one legitimate reason for leaving OKC other than getting a, other than getting a championship. And what you will see um, on this post is Twitter, on is Kevin Durant, excuse me, Kevin Durant responds to this tweet from his personal verified account. 
But this is his response. He didn't like the organization or playing for Billy Donovan. His roster wasn't that good. It was just him and Russ. Imagine taking Russ Russ off that team. See how bad they were? KD can't win a championship with those cats. Now again, why are you referring to yourself in third person? Which, which again, this is what would lead you to believe he was tweeting from fake accounts. Um, now who those fake accounts were, we don't know. But the reason why Kevin Durant gets an L for this is because you are a, you are now, I could see when you left and trying to maybe defend yourself, I could see now, even coming from your personal account, going out and talking to people. There's, first of all, there's nothing wrong with responding to people on Twitter and engaging your audience on Twitter if it's from your, if it is coming from you. But you're a grown man, you're an NBA champion, what are you doing? Why do you feel the need to hide behind a fake account to to defend yourself? See, me personally, I, I, I'm not a big fan of that. I believe whatever you say as a man, you, you stand behind what you said. And if you're wrong or you just get called out and you get caught, then you're just wrong. See, you're not going to get me with no crap like that. Anything I say on the internet, I said it. If you come back and be like, yeah, did you say this? I'd be like, yeah, I did. I don't post anything. I don't even I don't even text anything that I don't want people to hear. You won't see me you won't see me texting stuff cuz you know people like screenshotting stuff on the people like taking screenshots of your text messages and sending it to all their friends and so like you're not going to embarrass me. I don't care what you say. You can put up you can find anything that I ever text to anybody on a screenshot and put it all over the internet and be like, "Did you say that?" I'd be like, "Yeah, I did." I said it, and. But that's how it should be. That's how it should be. Don't be afraid to, don't be afraid to say what you gotta say. You're Kevin Durant. I don't, like I said, you you really, it's really above, it, to me, it should be above you now as an NBA champion to even respond to folks on, on Twitter have to answer the same damn questions over and over again. You don't owe anybody an explanation. But if you're going to do it, at least do it yourself. At least do it. At least answer and respond to people from your account, letting people know, yeah, this is me and I said it and I'm not afraid of it. It just looks weak that you would use a fake account to defend yourself. That's all. It's Like I said, I like Kevin Durant. I'm one of the few people that you'll hear defending him when it comes to screw all that he's not he can't be all the people trying to discount his championship or whatever it is look the fact of the matter is if you're not happy with wherever you are in life you should be allowed to take your life into your own hands and do what you want to do and if you're going to leave now I, I i was one of the people saying it wasn't you couldn't compare it it was if we're going to call LeBron or whoever else that goes to a perceived super team, if we're going to get on them, I did say that we need to get on Kevin Durant more than them. 
I did think that it was kind of odd that you would go to the team that knocked you out. But I, I but at this point, I do understand if you're going to do all that, at least get what you came for and get a championship, which Kevin Durant did. You got your so you got your championship now. You don't know anybody in explanation. It just it just looks bad. That's just tacky, dude. It just is. And that's why you get the L this week. But that pretty much wraps it up. Again, guys, let me know how you, what you feel, what your thoughts are on the Mount Rushmore Challenge. If we want to do it again, we can. But that will pretty much conclude this week. This has been the Mind of Mike J Podcast, and I always appreciate everyone listening. New episodes every, hopefully, Monday. But, we're, but at this point, I'm just going to get them out when I can. Again, hope everybody has a great week. Until next time. This is Mind of Mike J signing off.